just spitballing here, and there's probably upside. Isn't that what this is? I mean, yeah, this this podcast is spitballing. Yeah, we're taking this too seriously. <laughs> <laughs> right. And anybody listening who's taking this really seriously, like everything that we say is something that we've thought about for the past, you know, three days, like really concocting this. It's like all off the top of our heads. So please don't take it too seriously. What's up, party people? Welcome back to the Bonk Bros Podcast. This week on the show, we won't be covering any race recaps from this past weekend because none of us did any traveling or really followed much of the action. Instead, we decided to have an open discussion about the Lifetime Grand Prix, the biggest, baddest off-road series that has taken the elite cycling scene by storm in its inaugural season. Scott and I offer up some of our outside-the-ropes perspective of how we feel the series could be improved, while Dylan plays Meteor from his inside perspective as one of the top 30 riders selected for the pro men's division. As you heard in the intro clip, this episode is completely off the cuff just the way we wanted it to be, so none of what we talk about was scripted or even shared with each other before hitting record. Alright, enough of this intro stuff, let's get this Bong Bros party started. What's up, fellas? You guys both home right now? Yeah, I'm. uh, Haven't ridden my bike in eight days now. Part of that was a mid-season break, and part of it was I got COVID, just like seemingly everyone else right now. So, oh, you did have COVID? Bummer. Did it? It seemed like it went away pretty quick though, because you you bounced back in a couple Uh, days. I don't know. I've had it since Wednesday, and I still have symptoms, so it's not it's not very quick. Mm. Yeah. Okay. But just feeling well enough to get uh, on the show. Yeah, I was feeling really not well enough to do anything last week. But at this point, it's, you know, symptoms are super mild. So, yeah. Cool. <clears throat> How many more days off are you I, taking? I hope none. I hope I can ride tomorrow. Um, yeah. I, there's, so, there's so many mixed opinions right now about when to start exercising after you have COVID. Some people are like, oh, you know, if you just have symptoms above the neck, you can exercise. And some, you know, others are saying like, oh, you got to wait two weeks after your last symptom goes away. Above the neck. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. I've never heard that before. (laughs) Well, I think that's pretty common across like even general colds and stuff that you should say. Like if you don't have chest congestion or, you know, Mm -hmm. packing up a lung or something. Um, But I, I don't know. I think... I think COVID kind of hits everyone a little differently and that's why they, there's so many different recommendations out there. Um, like I, I had COVID early, well, not early on, but in like November of 2020. Um, so before all the vaccines and stuff and I was like back mm-hmm. on the bike within a week and I, I think I took an entire week off of riding. I did like a couple short runs or something <laughs> felt, felt like pretty mild symptoms overall, like a little crummy for a couple days. But then, like when I got back on the bike, I was firing on all cylinders. Yeah, that's and, like, that's what flying. I'm hoping because I had a, awesome. I've been so tired from the from the first part of this season, just racing way too much. And I'm hoping that when I get back on the bike after this really long period off the bike, I'll I'll feel better for a while. So 
Yeah. Also, sure. somehow Scott completely avoided COVID because I got COVID from this wedding that Scott was at with me. And Scott was doing way gnarlier things than I was. Like he had he had his shirt off, he <laughs> on the dance floor. I mean, That's I was on the dance floor true. too, but Scott was I don't I don't know what Scott was doing. So And I was staying at your house. So if you I guess right. you wouldn't have gotten it until whatever, whenever, but Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I still feel like shit, but I'm testing negative for COVID. But, I'm just super tired. Yeah, but Scott also didn't ride his bike for seven hours yeah. before the wedding. It's true, but he did go on like a five-hour so ride. A little that more morning, immunosuppressed, but yeah, yeah, but not. No, that's a fair. That's a fair point. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Well, hopefully you'll be back soon. Uh, and Scott, yep. you're back home in Maryland. Gonna head down to Knoxville on Wednesday. Yeah, Friday the night start? is the crit, um, and Sunday is the road race. Okay. And that, that's the national championships. And you're not way. doing time. There was no a time, time trial, trial or anything. Not doing that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Got to save your energy yeah. for the crit. No, I've never done the time trial. Probably never will. Mm. At nationals. <laughs> just because you're, not, are you just not good at time trialing or something? That and it's like Thursday, so like if it okay. was, you know, the last event, I might think about it. Still, probably wouldn't do it. But mm-hmm. since it's you know, the first event, it's just gonna yeah. Make me more you know, tired. I've never done a time trial before, but it seems like a really intriguing discipline to me. I would actually love to try one. You would say that. Yeah, I don't know. It's like <laughs> everything I love about bike racing, right? It's super nerdy, and you have to be very analytical, and and you can't just wing it. Yeah, I, guess. I mean, I guess you can just wing it, but you know, it seems like time trialists. Like a a really good time trialist does not seem like the same kind of person that's that's really good at crits. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I, I get it. It's yeah. Just like not for me, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think you're the I think yeah. you're the person Dylan's <laughs> talking about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, so the, I mean there there were some bike races that took place this weekend, but None of us were a part of it or following it too closely. So we're not really going to cover any bike racing from this weekend, but we are going to get into uh, some Lifetime Grand Prix series mm-hmm. discussion. Uh, so we'll start with kind of an overview of what the Lifetime Grand Prix series is, how it came to be, uh, kind of who's involved in um, partaking in, in the series. And then, uh, yeah, we'll just kind of have an open discussion about some, maybe some constructive criticism or feedback or ideas that we have input for how the series could be improved for years to come. That's it's an exciting series. It's claiming. And a lot of people are saying that it's sort of revolutionizing, uh, how the professional bike race, um, model is, I mean, I would say maybe more so in the off-road sector, but, um, just how professional bike racing is, is taking place in the U S right now. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the majority of the show today. Yep. So for anyone who doesn't know what the Lifetime Grand Prix is, it's uh, a six-race series that includes um, Sea Otter Classic Mountain Bike Race, uh, which was a 50-mile mountain bike race this year, and Unbound 200, which is 200-mile gravel race, and then Crusher and the Tusher, which is a 70-mile gravel race, uh, Leadville 100, 100-mile mountain bike race, uh, sh- how do you how do you pronounce this one? Schwamigan. Schwamigan. 
I pronounced it. I pronounced it so horribly wrong in the YouTube video that I made about how I was going to train for this series, and and all these people were correcting me in the comments section. <laughs> all right, Schwar- yeah, it's 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 got a funky spelling to it. There's like a Q in there, and yeah, some, I, some letters that don't I get was pronounced. Like, but what yeah, Schwamigan. is this? <laughs> um schwamigan uh 40 mile mountain bike race and then the final one big sugar in uh arkansas 100 mile gravel race so that's if you were keeping track there that's three gravel races and three mountain bike races so it's an off-road series evenly split between mountain bike races and gravel races and i will say that the mountain bike races on the calendar are are probably some of the least technical mountain bike races that you could choose, which uh, I would say probably plays into the hands of more of the gravel crowd because you could, I mean, like, for example, Leadville, any any uh, gravel racer could easily hop on a mountain bike and not be too technically challenged at Leadville or really the other two races for that matter. Um. So, yeah, I when they when I first heard about this series, um, I think I heard rumors about the series before it was announced, but I didn't really know any details. And then when as the minute it was announced, I w- I was like taking time out of my day to apply. I was like, I have to do this, <laughs> right? Because I come from mountain biking, and now I'm a professional gravel racer. So I was like, this is. This is perfect for me. I have to apply for this. I guess when I got into, uh, we we can get into the application process if you guys want. When I when I got into the application, which was a Google form, um, I was kind of I was kind of thinking like, oh, it'll be you know they're they're looking they're looking at your results to decide who's getting into the series. And I guess the one thing that put me off a little bit is that they're they were asking about your social media presence. Which should be a good thing for me because you know I've got a large YouTube following. So if they're asking about social media, that's a benefit for me. But I guess just in principle, I was thinking if you're going to have an exclusive series where you're only going to pick 30 men and 30 women, and that's the cutoff, I, I would prefer for it to just be based off of results and how you know how fast you are. Um, what I will say is that when they announced the series. I didn't necessarily see anyone. I didn't necessarily see them pick anyone that I was like, what are they doing? Like, clearly they just picked that person because they've got a massive social media following or something like that. Um, so I, I don't think they necessarily did a terrible job with the selection process. Although, uh, it came to light a little bit later that there were some really fast riders who didn't end up getting picked for whatever reason. Um, which is interesting. I mean, I, I, I really don't know how heavily they weighted uh, actual results versus, you know, I don't know, everything else they asked. And granted, they did ask other things like, how are you going to help promote cycling in the U.S.? Um, and if, you know, if social media is part of how you're promoting cycling in the U.S., then then if that's important to them, then then perhaps that's that's you know how they're taking this into account yeah and and i i kind of had the same so i i, I applied scott did you no. apply to the series when, <laughs> when this <didn't>? was okay. <laughs> announced i for whatever reason i was like 
Oh, that's like a joke. Like nobody's gonna do that. That was my <laughs> first reaction. I don't really? know. <laughs> Obviously, dude, it's not the case. I don't know why I thought that. I was like, that's funny. Why? Like nobody's gonna. Who, they're not gonna get enough applicants for this. That's what I thought. So I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that the guy from Pure Gravel uh, messaged me on Instagram and said and sent me the link to apply and said. Uh, you need to put in your application now to let them know you're interested, um, or something. And then, uh, and then I think he said something like, you know, make sure you post about it uh, or something. Um, just kind of like hinting at the fact that, that, you know, they want people that are, that are actively promoting the series, which makes sense. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say is, you know, I, on one hand, I, I don't, love the idea that they were asking mm-hmm. social media presence because I do think that takes a little bit of the merit-based uh, application or merit-based selection out of the process. Um, but it's a, it's a first year series. Uh, they're putting a lot of prize money up for grabs. They're, tr- they're putting a ton of resources into promoting the, the event, but I, I think they, they wanted some help from the athletes that they were selecting to bring more awareness right. to the series uh, because I don't, I don't think, they're, they only announced the series four months before it was going to begin. So there wasn't like a ton of time to hype up and, and bring a, a ton of awareness to the series. So like I, I kind of get for the first year that they wanted, they wanted some, you know, athletes that, that could help to promote the series. Um, yeah. I do get that. And, the, and they're, they're very clear that they're trying to, you know, raise the level of pro, you know, pro cycling in the U S and, I mean, in a way, I think that they've done that. It seems like every every person in the series um, bumped up their level of sponsorship when they got into the series. Uh, it seems like people in the series are, you know, if they weren't before, they're bringing a you know a new level of professionalism to their social media, and you know, it's kind of and and I think what's probably by by having people kind of commit to this series it's uh or or making it making it selective has kind of gotten people to commit to the series if you know what i mean like if they if they had we we can go back and forth about whether it being selective is a good idea or not but you have to admit that it being selective gets these pros to commit to the series Whereas before they might say, oh, like that's that's a cool six race series. Like I may do one or two of them and see what happens versus now they're like, "Okay, I have to do all six or at the very least I have to do five. Right. Um, Yeah, because if if it wasn't selective, you could just like start doing the first three. And if you're not in the money or close to the money, then you could just call it. But you could still do that. Right. If you're in the. Well, yeah, you can totally still do that. but, but then, I mean, like, you think you'd have less of uh, less of a chance of getting picked next year? Maybe? Well, so yes, yeah, so, so yeah, maybe. But but so so we can talk about the standing. So the the race or the series is six races, and the the overall series standings at the end of the season is based off of your top five results. You have to do mm-hmm. a minimum of five, so you can't just take you know your best four because you only went to four of them so you have to be at five events and the last race is also mandatory um i don't know i 
I'm not sure with Big Sugar being mandatory if that means you have to finish. So like if someone goes and either crashes out or has a mechanical or they can't finish, like I don't know if then they're out of the series overall or if it's just required for you to be there. Dylan, I don't know if you if you know more details on don't. that. Um, but they do say that the Big Sugar race is mandatory. Yeah, I, d- I don't know uh, whether you have to finish. And if you do have to finish, that's uh, it's kind of a tall order with Big Sugar because at least from last year, it seems like that's a race where race ending mechanicals are not out of the question at all so yeah for sure i mean if you're if you're already top five in the series standings and and you have to finish the race like do you go there with a mountain bike just to make sure that you get to the finish line to keep your right keep your standing or do you risk it for the biscuit and try and try and you know improve your standings at the last race i don't i don't know maybe more info will come out about that uh, but they do say that the last race is mandatory. You can select to uh, either drop a race based on results or just by not showing up. So you you can elect to just forego one of the races. I think Unbound was a one a, a race that uh, f- quite a few were selecting to forego, um, just being you know the longest in scale and probably the biggest, uh, probably the hardest to to recover from. Um, the races were in April and then June, July, August, September, October. So you only have about a month or so mm-hmm. between each race. So some athletes it sounded like they chose to skip Unbound to help prepare for some of the later seasons or the later races in the season. Um, Dylan, what's your approach? Are you were you planning all along to go to all six events and just take your best five yeah, results from 100%. those? Hundred percent. I mean, these races are these races are ones where having having some sort of issue is possible at every single one of these races so to you know voluntarily skip one and just hope for the best at at five uh i don't think is a good strategy (laughs) um right i'll be honest when i got covid this week skipping crusher which is in three weeks crossed my mind but i i'm you know even if I'm not going to be altitude acclimated and even if I'm still trying to build my fitness back up after having COVID, I still think it's worth it to get some sort of result there. Yeah, for sure. Um, so let's go back to the, the application process. Um, and in kind of, you know, like some of the selection, the selections that took place, um, so Dylan, when, when you say you, it was, you know, it was a Google form, um, and I went through this too, so I can talk about it too. Um, what, what kind of thing, you know, like what kind of questions and stuff came up on that Google form that they were, they were looking yeah, for? So, I mean, they had, they had questions about your results and, you know, which results are you most proud of? Those are the, those are definitely the questions I was expecting to see. And then I think they had questions about, I think the one that really pissed Jeff Kabush off was, are you willing to promote lifetime or something? Which like, I think he even posted a screenshot of his answer on Twitter and his answer was like, no, or something. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> I, um, and then of course he got super butt hurt that he didn't get picked, which it's like, of course you didn't get picked dude. And I'll, and to be honest, it's like, you know, if you're an NBA player, you're kind of expected to, promote the NBA if you're in F1 you're kind of expected to promote F1 if you're if you're I don't know if you're in any sort of sporting organization right you're kind of expected to promote 
the the sporting organization, right? I don't find that that like that tall of an order. Um, I I would say that the only thing just in and and I don't know what their selection process was. And like I said, when I actually looked at who they picked, I was like, I don't see anyone here that necessarily doesn't belong. Like somebody here who is like purely a social media influencer and not a fast bike racer. I didn't see that. So I was, I was actually very pleased. Um, because I just, I just feel like if they're going down this road where they're picking people based off of their social media presence, I don't know. I just, in principle, that kind of left a bad taste in my mouth, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, you know, they're trying to promote it as the premier kind of cycling series or professional cycling series in the U S. So in order to do that, you expect that, uh, there's at least a high level of uh, merit based Mm -hmm. selection that, that went into the criteria. Um, so yeah, so like I said, I, I applied, um, I kind of the same reaction that you did Dylan. So when, when I first saw that it was announced, um, I like applied right away. So, so it's funny at the end of 2019. Uh, so this would have been three years ago. Um, at that time I was racing mostly mountain bikes. Um, and, and I was like, my season was kind of built around the Epic rides Mm -hmm. series, which was four pro backcountry like 50 mile mountain bike races. Uh, and I would kind of like, those would be in the calendar first. And then I would fill in races around those when it would make sense. And that was kind of like the foundation of my series or my se- my season uh, was that series. And when, when I started to plan for 2020, I was like looking at some other events and like, you know, Leadville came up, Crusher came up. A few of these like Schwamigan came up. That's a you know big race in the Midwest. A few of these like bigger lifetime events kind of were on my radar and I was like, how cool would it be to put together like my own lifetime series? So like travel around, go to, you know, pick eight to 10 of these lifetime events and just have my entire season built around the light, the, uh, Epic ride series. And then my own lifetime series. And I'd actually even pitched it to lifetime. I'd like s- sent them an email or whatever, you know, like, Hey, this is what I'm thinking about doing. Like, I'd love to be at some of your events. Like if there's any way that you could help me either get there or make sure that I, you know, get into some of these events versus going through like the, uh, what the lottery mm-hmm. system or whatever it is to get into some of the events. Like I was like, it'd be super cool. Like I'd love to do this, like to, to, to build my season around the the lifetime events. Um, well, I didn't hear anything and then COVID happened. So that whole idea kind of like, you know, got put to bed and then, um, you know, 2021 came around events were still up in the air. And then like, before I knew it, the series came out. So I was like, holy crap. Like, that's exactly what I was planning on doing. So I was stoked about it. Like I, there was no, I wasn't like upset or anything. I was just like, this is awesome. Like, this is exactly what I wanted to do was like put together this lifetime series. And now they did it for us. Um, I, I mean, I wasn't surprised mm-hmm. that I didn't get picked. To, I, I, I don't know that I, I would not consider myself to be one of the top 30 cyclists in the U S. So Um, I knew that the criteria was going to be pretty, the bar was set pretty high for that criteria. Um, but you know, I still, well, I don't know, I guess had hopes that maybe, maybe like Scott, maybe only 30 people would apply. So like, (laughs) you know, it'd be kind of a a shoe in, so you never know. Um, so I guess we can get into a little bit of like talking about. It is, it is crazy how, 
pretty much every fast cyclist that you that could have possibly been interested in the lifetime series seemed like they applied for the lifetime series i don't know like all of them did you know keegan russell uh like pete stetna payson um like all of them they all they all applied for the series like no no one was like yeah i'm not i'm not really interested in doing that they were all like yeah i'm I'm interested in that and i'm doing it yeah and and i don't know if if they were recruited to apply or if they did that on their own Mm -hmm. merit um but I, i would imagine that you know we're all we're all doing this to some extent to try and make some money so when you when you dangle a $250,000 prize purse across men and, you know, between the men and women, uh, you're, you're going to get a lot of the top names to apply for it. Uh, and that's kind of what Lifetime was trying to do. They were, cu- they were trying to come in and shake things up, bring more resources uh, available to, to the pro athletes in, mm-hmm. in the U.S. at least. Um, I don't know how many – I don't remember, Dylan, was was there a criteria that you had to be a U.S. No, citizen No, you definitely don't. I mean, apply? Adam Roberge, Lawrence Tendam. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I so guess, yeah, we had some – Sophia is not Canada a U.S. citizen. Asian. I'm sure yeah, she's maybe. got – No, but on, on their website, it says 60 of the nation's best cyclists. <laughs> so they got it. Yeah, so I mean, I, I I guess they're you know they're everyone that's on the list at least is a familiar name within the North American mm-hmm. uh, off road scene or or even you know other disciplines. So I don't think there was anyone like you know any any foreign or international riders that made the uh, selection that you weren't expecting to um, or that you were surprised that did. Um, so I don't know, Scott. Do you want to do do we want to get into um, like some of our thoughts on like, you know, the selection process. And um, all. I mean, the selection process is, doesn't it seem to be relatively fair if, if you're going to have an exclusive series like they do right now, like, I think it's a whole different discussion on whether they had to make it exclusive. Yeah. I, the, their reasoning that they gave for making it exclusive and it makes sense is that a lot of these races in the series have a lottery, so if you're just going to open up the series to anyone, then it's like it's kind of getting in the way of the lottery and all of that. Um, so like Jeff Kabush's suggestion, and this was not a good suggestion in my opinion, was that they have Sea Otter be some sort of like qualifier and then the top top racers at Sea Otter like automatically get picked for Unbound. And it's like, you could easily have a bad race at Sea Otter and then your whole what then you're not able to do the rest of the series just because you had one bad race, you know? Yeah. Or maybe like, I mean, I, I, I guess cause unbounds the second race and that's a lottery race, but like the top, you could have three races that are not in a lottery and then you get like mm-hmm. the top 30 or whatever, get picked for the rest of it. Or, um, or maybe you have like 20 spots that are guaranteed and then it, you have 10 more spots like that's then actually, give somebody a chance, you know? Oh, I was I was actually going to say Yeah, so that, that well, you had a good point there and then and then I I feel like your I point had a good got, point or got worse. All right, well, here here's what I here's here I got worse. Uh, I kind of had a light bulb moment when you just said that. Uh, perhaps what they could do is have 
30 spots guaranteed for the series, right? And then anyone else who wants to compete in the series, like who's out of, outside of that top 30, has to get in to the lottery, uh, either by the lottery or by their, you know, a spot by their sponsor. Basically, they're not guaranteed to get into the races if you're not in the top 30. Like you have to you have to do what everybody else does to get into these races. Yeah. That would Yeah. I don't see a reason why there would be anything wrong with that. I mean, what it's Unbound and Tusher and Leadville are lotteries, right? And oh, Big, Big Sugar. Sugar. Too? I'll, I'll be honest, I don't know. I mean, yep. I know that Unbound and Leadville are, but I don't know about the other ones. Yeah, I guess Tusher, I'm not sure. Um, that one might just be uh, mm-hmm. registration-based, and it sells out super quick. I know all the races sell out quick. Schwamigan might be the one exception for the pro field um, because they do run mm-hmm. that race separately, uh, which we can maybe talk about that at some point. Um but yeah, the rest of the races, I mean, yeah, they're they're all very hard races to get into. Um and and I don't know, I don't I don't want this to come off as like a an you know, elitist type thing, you know, for saying this, but I do feel like there should be some exceptions because having the pros at your biggest races also helps keep your the 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 interest from the fans mm-hmm. very high. So the more pros, high level racers you have at the front of the race, it does seem like the more attraction is pulled to those races. I know that's not always the case. Not everyone shows up to races or follows races because of what's going on at the front, but it does it does add some level of hype. So I don't know, to say that there's only 60 spots that they can open up for the uh you know, guaranteed entries seems a little low. I mean, that's such a small percentage of however many, you know, total entrants there are. Um, but I do get it. I mean, and, and especially for the first year event, I don't think they wanted to come in and say, you know, hey, you know, especially because most of the people had probably already applied yeah. for some of these races, you know, or, you know, submitted their, their entry into the lottery. So they didn't want to just come in and say, well, now we're, we have 200 less spots for everyday participants to get into the lottery. Um, so I totally get that. So, I, I've kind of had some thoughts and it's similar to, to what you guys were talking about there where there's like, you know, say the, for next year, the, the 30 that were invited this year, um, since they haven't already announced this, I think they would just invite those 30 back. They've already created some following around you guys. Uh, you guys have, you know, been to, I mean, everyone who's completed the series, at least say, say there's 30 to start with and only 27, Maybe if you complete the series, you're invited back for next year. And then every race, there's 10 to 20 spots that you can like qualify into. And they have they use the other events in the lifetime series. So not the Grand Prix series, but they have you know 20 events or so in the total, you know, that that um, you know that are part of lifetime. And they they should use some of those other events to promote the series and promote those individual events. So if you want to qualify for Sea Otter, you've got to go to, you know, a different race. And there's, you know, the top 10 or 20 qualify into Sea Otter. And then maybe based on how you do at Sea Otter, you can either qualify for Unbound or there's another qualifier that you can go to. But that way there's like these little qualifiers that some athletes can go through an, another roundabout way to get into the series. That's not part of the, uh, 
this like elite selective, um, you know, group and, and you can kind of like mm-hmm. earn your way into it to do that. They'd probably have to rethink the overall standing, um, and, and how the, the, the series is scored. Um, cause some athletes might only make it into a couple of the events. And if you want to still contribute to try and, you know, have some result in the overall series, then maybe instead of requiring you to have a minimum of five, it's, it actually is just your cumulative scoring or something. Um, but I, I don't know. I think that would be a unique way to do it. It would open up the doors to a lot more athletes who, you know, who qualify maybe from a merits-based perspective to, to partake in the series. And a lot of these athletes are going to be at these events anyways, right? So, like, why shouldn't they just be part of the series standings? Um, if they're going to be contributing at the races, they're going to be contributing to uh, a lot of the, you know, the social media following, the just general media of the events. Um, they're competing for the overall standings of those individual events. They, they, they somehow should figure out a way to include those participants in the overall mm-hmm. series standings. Yeah, I think that'd be great. Um, what else you guys Scott? I just thought it was kind of funny when they when <laughs> when they announced it, everyone started comparing it to Formula One. Mm-hmm. Even though it's like, I, I watched a Formula One race last night, and it's probably one of the farthest things from Formula One that I could think of. <laughs> if anything, and you would know about that, <laughs> if anything, it's more comparable to, to golf because you can be a part of the PGA Tour, yeah. right? And you get invited to all these events. But then in, in that, you can be an amateur and get invited to the majors, right? And prove yourself that way and still compete for some of the prize money. Whereas in the Lifetime Series, if you're not in it, you're out, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, and, and that's actually kind of where I took my idea from was uh, like the, yeah, the the formatting that is used in the PGA Tour or um, general, you know, a lot of golf tours is you know, a certain percentage or number of participants at the end of a year get invited back to be members of the PGA Tour. So the top 125 golfers at the end of the season get their tour cards for the, the following season. Everyone else who participated, they've got to go back into the, the qualifying system. There are some like different levels of exemptions and things like that, but I don't think that would work here because there aren't enough events. Um, but, you know, it's, so it's like everyone's competing for those top 125 spots. If so, you're guaranteed a job the next year, basically. And I think that's kind of what you could do with the Lifetime Series is like, you know, the top 30 from the season gets invited back automatically next year. If you're not top 30, then you go back into the qualification system and try and earn your spot back onto that, uh, into that membership. Um, I do think it'd be cool to have more events, I think six events even though like it's a long season and they're really hard events uh six events just doesn't seem like it it comprises enough of a season to make to make that your actual season so like everyone that does the lifetime series also does a bunch of other racing and it'd be kind of cool if it was like an exclusive you did the lifetime series you didn't have to do other races you you could just do the 12 events that are part of the lifetime series and that could be your season um, you know, it'd, it'd be kind of cool if that was yeah. the case. Throwing an unbound in there and then having a race two weeks later might be a tall ask, but uh, I guess if it's the same yeah. for everyone, I mean, I feel something. like that'd be a tall ask um, for a lot of the pros. I mean, a lot of these pros have other 
obligations that are outside of the lifetime series like they want to do the bwr series or they want to do some other gravel racing or maybe they are road racers or or they do world cup mountain bike racing but because the se- but because the series mm-hmm. is so small in in volume number of number of events they can and sure. sort of have to do that but if the series was actually big enough to where they could just make their entire season the lifetime grand mm-hmm. prix series they wouldn't have sure. to do well, that. Right? I also think um, maybe they could. They still could if they wanted to. But uh, I think a lot of the athletes are like more passionate about another discipline within cycling, and they're not. You know, they're not just doing the lifetime series for a paycheck, but it's definitely part <laughs> of it, right? Yeah. So our our Scott and I's good friend Carson Beckett, who is the he he's the one that just got married who we went to his wedding and i got covid from so thanks carson um he he applied for the series and and i remember i was talking to him about it on a training ride and i was like i was like dude you don't even want to do a 200 mile gravel race you don't even want to do leadville 100 like he's a pure cross-country mountain bike racer um like that is that is his thing and i was like even sea otter is 50 miles in the lifetime grand prix series like it's not the typical xc distance sea otter uh i was like why did like why did you want to apply and he's not the only person i know like that who is like completely focused on on a discipline that doesn't really is not even really captured by the series yeah i mean that's that's a good point you know, in, in some way, though, like you, you have to sort of set a standard for what your events are formatted like, because um, you can't ask every athlete to be multidisciplinary. I mean, yeah, you're doing gravel and mountain bike, but you could realistically do all six events on the same bike mm-hmm. and fare somewhat decently, right? You know, you could do Leadville on a gravel bike. You could do Unbound on a rigid mountain bike. Um so they're 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 similar enough that you don't need this huge array of ability levels and skill and um, you know different training approaches and stuff that you you can kind of apply the same approach mm-hmm. to all of the races. Schwamigan's maybe the one exception there. Like it's it is so short compared to Unbound, um, and it's it's way different. I mean it's it's not technical. The the terrain's not technical, but um, it's super you know you're racing in packs on double track um super fast 20 miles an hour um so it's very different um than you know than something like maybe even sea otter or leadville but um but in general though like you're not asking your gravel racers to go learn how to ride drops on a on a xc mountain bike course or something um so i don't know i mean it that's you know, you're probably not going to cater to everyone, but you, you're certainly, I mean, they, they had no shortage of applicants. I know that for the, for the men's field, they, I, I heard that they received over 200 applicants and they only, they actually, they were only going to let in 20 to start with and they expanded it to 30. Yeah. Um, so they, you know, there, there was a pretty, you know, significant number of applicants. I don't know how many applied for the women's field, but I would, mm-hmm. I would guess pretty high as well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What else you guys got? Um, I guess we can talk about the prize <laughs> prize purse. Um, so they sure. they like say you know it's two hundred quarter million dollars in prize money, two hundred fifty thousand dollars, which sounds like a lot. But then when you actually look at the breakdown, 
if you win the series for men and women, it's only twenty five grand, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a lot of money too. But it it just then I, I did a quick calculation with the um like the uh the American Crick Cup, the ACC. And just with the like that's also two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, it turns out. But they they only advertise that it's a hundred grand overall, but that's just for the series and then each race has a mandatory seventy five hundred dollars for men and women prize purse. And then that comes out to be two hundred and fifty grand. But then that doesn't also doesn't include like, for example, at Tulsa, only one day is part of the American Crit Cup, but then there's also an additional fifty two thousand dollars in prize money. So it's like really yeah, it's really so not that some of much more prize money than another. Yeah, I mean race. some of the events have their yeah, some of the some of the events have their own individual yeah. prize purses. So I don't think that's that's I know that's not factored into the, the lifetime grand prix yeah. prize purse. But not all of them. Like like Leadville doesn't have prize money, Unbound doesn't have prize money. Um I know Big Sugar does, Schwamigan does, Tusher does. I'm not sure yeah. if Sea Otter, Dylan, yeah, had prize you know money. if that one had Okay. Um, so, and that's fine. I mean, I, I think that's good. I think the prize money should still be there, but the caveat is you're, you're also not competing against 30 or 29 other individuals for that prize money at those individual races. You're now competing against the entire field, which is going to have, you know, three times that, uh, number of participants. So it's, it's definitely not like you're guaranteed any money from, each of those individual events um, and it's much harder to win prize money at those individual events than, you know, than relatively it is for the overall series standing because of that. Yeah. I, from, from a business perspective. So obviously lifetime is trying to make their money back on this series. So they've got to put $250,000 down for, for the prize money. And then of course they got to hire a bunch of people to run the series and I don't know how much how much that is, but um, I what do you, what do you guys think? You guys think like if they put I, I have no idea how much money they would put into this like over a million dollars. You think they're making their money back? Yeah, because like, I guess <laughs> um, so that's, hard. that's hard to say. <laughs> so that, that's hard to say. Uh, the the reason that's hard to say is because these events that are part of the Lifetime Grand Prix series have sold out true. for years without the series being in place. So to say that the series is bringing more, uh, participants is, is not a reality because there's a cap or a limit for all these events. And even if the series wasn't in place, if they expanded the, the event mm-hmm. size or cap, uh, it'd probably still sell out. So they've got to be bringing in, they've got to be making money in another way other than just, Do you think they're the getting people fees. to sign up, uh, uh-huh for gym memberships with lifetime. Uh, that's <laughs> well, that, a great yeah. question. And, no then, and then with the series, so isn't go ahead. Sponsorship dollars. That's probably where. The yeah, increased for, sure. Is for sure. For sure. Like, for sure. Right. Yeah. What is it like? Gar- who, Mazda sponsors right. the series and then mm-hmm. Garmin sponsors unbound and all. So stages is Leadville. Yeah. Right. So they might have an increased value. Yep. 
Yeah, for sure. And I I think that they're trying to build this, this sort of media, um, uh, like the, they've got this idea that they want to make this sort of like drive to survive type series for those that don't know drive to survive is like the Netflix series about F1. Um, they want to, they want to make some sort of series like that for the lifetime series. I don't know if they're going to try to pitch it to Netflix or something. Um, I mean, I could see them doing that. I don't know if, I don't know if Netflix would go for it or not. Uh, but I mean, if they went that direction, obviously that, you know, that could potentially be a huge money maker as well. Yeah. So, I mean, one thing they might be able to do, and, I, and I'm not sure I haven't looked at entry fee costs or anything, but you know, they, they might be able to get away with increasing the entry fees by a small percentage because now they guarantee that 30 of the top men and women in the country will mm-hmm. be at their events. They couldn't say that before because it was all based on either lottery or sponsors yep. exemptions. Um, there was some qualifying and stuff like that, but you know, you didn't know who was going to show up at the races, but now they can say like, you know, we know 100% Dylan Johnson, uh, Keegan Swenson, Russell Finsterwald, Pace and McElvin are all going to be at our races alongside these other 25 top pro men. And then, you know, 30 of the top females. So they might be able to do that. I'm not sure if that's what they've done. Um, I doubt it for this year. Cause like I said, that this series got announced so late, I don't think they were able to really use the series for marketing for their events for this year. Um, but maybe that's what, what they're mm-hmm. you know kind of going for, for future iterations of the series. Yeah. I'll be interested to see, what changes they make next year, um, changes to the application process or, or maybe, you know, maybe they switch up the, the number of races in the series or which races are part of the series. Um, because obviously lifetime has more than six races to choose from, uh, for this series. So, yeah. And, and a lot of them get promoted as mm-hmm. Leadville qualifiers, you know, so they, they're, I think there's seven or eight different, uh, mountain bike races around the country that all are qualifying events to get into Leadville. Uh, and usually you can qualify for that year or the following year based on your results at those races. Um, you know, so th- that's kind of going back to what I was saying. It was like, you know, rather than those just being Leadville qualifiers, they could also be lifetime Grand Prix qualifiers. And it could be another way to bring exposure to some of those events because they're, they're much less uh, attended than their marquee mm-hmm. events for sure. Yeah. Did you guys see the uh, the Velo News article about what Sofia Gomez Villafana said about uh, how they should run the women's race at Unbound? I think I saw the article, but I didn't read it. It was actually pretty fascinating. Um, she was, and and this is like kind of a wild thing to say, but when when she said it, it seemed like everyone agreed with her. She was like, "There," the quote. I think that headline the article was there was no women's race or something. Oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I was just I like I was just racing men or, or something like that, which um seems like a you know <laughs> seems like a wild thing to say, but like it seemed like what she said had a lot of support, uh especially from women. So basically w- what she was saying what <laughs> so what Sophia was saying was that uh in the women's, so the women's event is 
is basically the way you win the women's race at Unbound and other gravel races for that matter. This is not this is not just Unbound, but basically any gravel race that's a mass start race where men and women are starting together is you have to um you have to try to make a uh, a really elite selection um of men and hope that no women are in that selection with you. And that's exactly what Sophia did at Unbound. She made a like a pretty elite selection of men and no women were with her and then she was golden. Like I mean, you know, obviously she still has to ride her bike for 10 hours at a very fast pace, but what I'm saying is that like she has now she has 15 men to work with. And uh, it's going to be very hard for any women behind her to catch up with her, right? Um, which is very is very different to how the men's race is raced, and it's very different to how the women's race would be raced had they had separate starts, right? Um, and what basically what she was advocating for is that at least for the pro women's race. Uh, like they should do some sort of separate start. Like maybe they should do a, a pro men start and a pro women start, and then just have everybody else do a mass start or something like that. Um, I don't want to put words in her mouth, but I think that's general. I think that's generally what she was advocating for. Um, which I don't, I don't know if lifetime is planning on doing anything about that or, you know, like changing the format of unbound so that there's a separate men's and women's start. But um, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? I mean, it makes it a totally different race. Obviously you could have tactics where like you could get a couple of dudes on your side. And even if a woman gets in that group with you, you could like, I mean, mm-hmm. you could have like people taking her off the back and stuff like opening up gaps and like at, um, SPT wasn't there like a bunch of controversy with right. Lauren DiCrescenzo. Yeah. Getting like yeah. feeds and stuff, but there's other tactics you could, have that wouldn't even you couldn't make a rule against it right yeah well i mean technically what lauren DiCrescenzo did at sbt i don't think was against the rules but it was against the spirit of gravel right (laughs) yeah but there is no spirit of gravel anymore right (laughs) (laughs) yeah the the, the uh, spirit of gravel for anyone trying to win the race is just if there was a spirit of gravel then you wouldn't care about the result (laughs) nobody would be pissed right Right, because <laughs> you're just out there riding and drinking and, your craft beer and shit. And if no one, if no one cared about the results, then we wouldn't have aero gravel bikes or aero right. gravel wheels and faster tires and stuff. I mean, it 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 contributes to the to the overall industry in mm-hmm. a positive way. So yeah, I don't I don't I don't love the spirit of gravel argument, um, but I I do I do like this idea of having a separate men's and women's start somehow and also separating the pro field from the rest of the fields. And I think this goes back to expanding the series to encompass any athletes who are contributing to the results of the individual Mm -hmm. races. Um, You know, Keegan Swenson gets second place at unbound, but he wins the race in terms of the lifetime grand prix. It's kind of hard for him to hang Mm -hmm. his hat on that. He doesn't get to go out and say, you know, I won the bike race because he got 30 points for the lifetime grand prix series. Cause he knows in his mind and his heart, he didn't win yep. the bike race. Yep. Um, but, but also like, you know, I, I was listening to Payson McElvin's mm-hmm. unbound recap podcast. Um, 
I'm not sure if we're supposed to promote other podcasts on our <laughs> podcast, but I just did. <laughs> it was a good show. Um, and he was talking about how the there was so much carnage at the front of the race at Unbound this year because you just had so many more mm-hmm. people all mixed together. You know, the group was huge, um, rolling super fast. You had riders who were there who you knew weren't going to be there two hours later, but they either wanted to just be there with the pros. They, they were fast enough to be there in the beginning or whatever, but they didn't have the skills or the ability to stay there long-term. It sucks that, that, that those people are then affecting the race in a net negative way for the, for the end result, right? You know, some riders get crashed out by, um, you know, in, in some of those circumstances, um, or, you know, you miss a certain split or something, or, you know, you get a mechanical because you, you didn't have the, the, you know, the sight line that you would have normally had if the group was smaller or something like that. But, um, like if there was some way that they could separate out this or stagger the starts, I do think that would be cool. Also for the women, like there was almost no media coverage during the race. They would, they would flicker between Sophia every once in a while. And I think Lauren, yeah, was she second, right? DiCrescenzo was second. So they would, they would, flicker between them every once in a while, but you had no idea where they were at relative to each other. And, and they never showed like any of the other women. So you had no idea where the rest of the field was until they came through time splits. Well, um, so, so it, it sucks for the women because they, they get no media coverage that way. And because of, of how the splits occur, it's really hard to cover more than one or two of the female athletes because they're not bunched together at all anymore. And there's no reason they should be like, if I was, if I was a female in Unbound, I wouldn't want to work together with any of the other women. I'd want to try and find the strongest men around me mm-hmm. to work with to try and advance my placing and position yeah. in the field. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it, it makes it it makes it very hard to cover a women's gravel race, right? Um, yeah. I so so I guess yeah, and, and I'm not sure what the the answer is, especially for Unbound. It's tough because. The pros don't need more time to finish the race. Um, it's kind of the you know the the general everyday participants who need mm-hmm. the entirety of the day to do the race. So to send the pros off first and potentially cut off an hour that the the rest of the field gets to finish the race in, uh, that could be kind of challenging. Um, so I'm not exactly sure what the best approach is there. I would guess if they only did like five or ten minute starts, you'd probably get some. Yeah people who were gung-ho and they'd ride through the women's field, which also right. isn't fair because now you're in the same scenario. Um, they need to separate out enough to where the women's field and even the men's field never really gets interrupted or now, affected by the, the, the general. Yeah, I'm just spitballing here. Um, and there's probably upside. Isn't that what this is? I mean, yeah, this, this podcast is spitballing. Yeah. We're taking this too seriously. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And anybody listening, who's taking this really seriously, like everything that we say is something that we've thought about for the past, you know, past three days, like really concocting this, it's like all off the top of our heads. So please don't, please don't take it too seriously. Yeah. We had had zero (laughs) notes coming into this. (laughs) Um, what if they did the pro race and the amateur race on separate days, kind of like they do at um, the uh, um, I'm blanking the 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 mountain bike series, epic rides? Yeah, epic rides. Like yeah, what? If, then, yeah. What that, if on the amateur unbound race was on Saturday and then the pro unbound race was on Sunday? 
how do you classify pro? Because well, then so, is it just lifetime so it, athletes? Well, it's it's not the pro. It's it's not the pro. It's the grand lifetime grand prix. I, I would actually prefer if it was pro. And and the distinction I'm making here is just like in uh, the um, why can epic rides? I forgot it twice in a row <laughs> within like two minutes. All right, just like in the epic ride series. Actually, anyone can sign up for the pro race. Like, you actually don't have to be a pro at all. It could be your first bike race ever, and you could sign up for the pro race. But most people have enough common sense not to do that, right? <laughs> they could do the exact same thing. Anyone who wants to to see how, like, throw their hat in with the pros at Unbound and see how they fare can sign up for the pro race. But most people have enough common sense that they're they're going to do the amateur race, right? They don't want to be embarrassed that badly um, if they're not at that level, right? Talk about taking away the essence of gravel. That would do it. It would. It would, for that sure. That would be the <laughs> final nail in the already... I, I, I can already see how people would be very pissed about about that. But I, I think it would solve the issue, right? Because then they'd, they'd, start, the, they'd start the men at... Uh, they wouldn't. They also wouldn't have to start the pro race at six in the morning. They could start it at like I don't know eight in the morning or something or nine in the morning, right? They could start the men at right. eight o'clock, start the women at you know eight ten, eight eight thirty, whatever. And um, and then you're not gonna ha- yet. Like some men are gonna get dropped and get caught by the fastest women, but it shouldn't have a huge effect on the race. And um, and uh. And then you know, I, I don't know. It would it would kind of solve that issue. It would it would solve the issue that Sophia is talking about, and um, it would help with the issue that Payson was talking about. Um, the issue that Payson was talking about being that there are a lot of yeah, crashes and, going on with just so many people. And I do think it would bring some of the spirit of gravel back mm-hmm. to the amateur day. Right. There's more focus on just the the amateur field. The aid stations aren't nearly as chaotic mm-hmm. as they are. Um, you don't have all these pro teams there with their vans and everything, um, you know, taking up all the spots. So, I mean, it, it would it would put more emphasis. And that's why Epic Rides has done mm-hmm. it. Um, they, they put on their events pretty much for the amateur field, but they invite the pros there to help kind of showcase the, um, you know, the the elite aspect of the sport. Right. So Friday night they do like this fat tire crit. That's like a, you know, it's just this spectacle downtown. It's, you know, kind of like a, you know, just a, an expo race, 20 minutes and all the amateurs come out, line the course. It's super fun. Everyone gets to like see the pros racing. Then Saturday they go out, they do their race after their race. There's like an after party and a concert and stuff like that. Like Saturday is totally the day for everyone to just go have fun um, there's people racing it for sure, but like after the race is over, it's like totally emphasizing the amateur experience. And then Sunday it's, it goes back to being like, you know, pretty professional. All the pros line up, amateurs can stick around and watch the race, which I think is really cool at unbound or any of these other lifetime events. If you're doing the race as an amateur, it's, it's cool that the pros are there, but you don't get to see them. You don't get to see them taking the lines, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or picking their lines through certain sections or ripping up climbs that, uh, you know, that, that, you know, at 
breakneck speeds or anything like that. Um, and you don't get to watch it. You don't get to watch the live stream. You don't get to watch on course. So you kind of miss out on that aspect. So I think it'd be cool because it would help to showcase the pros that are at these events in a way that everyone gets to spectate. And then, yeah, and then, you know, logistically it, it helps things as well. So I, I, I like that idea. Um, I, I think maybe Unbound uh, would probably be the, the most challenging one just because of the sheer, sheer scale of, you know, 200 miles worth of mm-hmm. um, aid stations and volunteers mm-hmm. and uh, SAG vehicles and all that stuff. But I'm sure there's a way that they could figure it out. You wouldn't need as many resources for the next day. You know, the, the pros, maybe you, maybe maybe you don't do aid stations. Maybe the pros... Or maybe maybe they're maybe everything is self-supported or team-supported, you know. So they don't have any volunteers in the aid stations. They're just aid zones, you know, yeah. feed zones basically, which is how it works in. That's already kind of how it is at um, Unbound, anyway. At Unbound, can you get a feed from anywhere on the course? No. Or does it have to be in the aid stations? Has to be in the aid stations. Yeah. Has to be in the aid stations. Okay. I think if they changed, I would like if they changed that. What you just know. get a feed every twenty miles yeah, and just carry it's like one bottle more, with you the whole time? It's even more strategy, <laughs> right? I you mean, I guess, but you like down. like these roads are so rural and like backwoods. Like it's hard to have. I don't know about that, man. Because like, because <laughs> then I you know Canyon would roll up every every Canyon yeah. would have like some dude on a moto. And then, like everybody else yeah. would be, not everyone. Everybody on the else same would playing be like field. screwed, right? Like some people would be able to like carry yeah. one bottle with them the whole race and be, you know, because they're getting a new a new bottle every twenty miles. And then some people would be completely right. screwed and have to carry the normal amount that you have to carry when you're at you're doing Unbound. Yeah, it's probably a bad idea, but <laughs> it's, well, that's how BWR is, right? At least that's what I <laughs> well, read because I was feeding you from. Not at the aid station every time. Yeah, but you were still like in the aid station area. A couple times I wasn't. <laughs> the one you had to walk to, I was like out on the road, and I read in the I read in the rules and asked the official you you can feed from wherever. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. BWR is different, I guess. Also at BWR, they've got a car following the front group with bottles, and they'll just give you yeah. bottles. I remember I made a YouTube video about BWR Utah and I was talking about how I got bottles from the car and there were like people in the comment section giving me crap about it. Um, Like, you know, that's like against the rules. And I was like, I literally took a bottle from the race director. Like, what do you mean against the rules? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. Do you have anything else to bitch about, about this thing or? (laughs) <laughs> way, we didn't bitch that much again for as much as i'd bitched or complained or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it i'd there probably were, do i'd probably yeah. do the lifetime series if i could get in right yeah you know there I, were, I'm, I'm bitching because it's exclusive right and nobody likes Dude. exclusive things that they're not included to right? yeah and and i i think that the first year having it exclusive is fine because they're trying to get the the series mm-hmm. up off the but ground. there needs to be some sort of relegation. Um, one one thing I've been super I've been super disappointed with is I feel like the the media presence around these thirty men and women mm. has been really poor. That you know they, they were trying to like you said they were what's called drive for drive speed to or survive. something drive to survive <laughs> learn to drive <laughs> <laughs> drive to survive you know they, <laughs> they're trying to 
kind of do a spin well, off might of, come of something out later, like that. Yeah. Um, maybe, but you know, if you're trying to create a following around these 30 exclusive selective individuals in the men's and women's fields, I feel like they need to do more to mm-hmm. promote the individuals. Um, I haven't seen anything come out about like, I mean, they, they maybe did one post who you were Dylan, but it should be like every week they should be like doing interviews and like, you know, what happened and what's going on in the day of the life of, you know, Keegan Swenson this week. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I feel like there's just not been a ton of that. And I think maybe that's where they were selective with some of their individuals who had higher social media presence because they wanted those individuals to mm-hmm. help bring media, uh, you know, hype and presence to the, uh, to the series. But I do feel like they could do a much better job of promoting the individuals and creating stories around those individuals throughout the series to give someone something to follow. Here's my other um, I don't know, idea or something. I think we need to get rid of number plates in the pro field, especially. It's absurd that you spend all this money, all this resource on having this like super fast aero equipment. And then you put this mm-hmm. flag on the front <laughs> of the bike. Dylan puts it on the side sometimes. Get away with that, I guess. <laughs> um, Why can't you just put it on your back? Like every, a bunch like, no, everyone should have a yeah. custom jersey that has your number. Everyone should get a number. It, that'd be so cool. That's like every other pro Especially sport. Especially when it's number. exclusive. It's awesome. Like it's only 60 athletes. It's totally. only 60 jerseys you have to make, right? Right. You can custom- and you can yeah. and you sell those jerseys. Someone someone likes Dylan. They follow his YouTube channel. You know, 50,000 jerseys sold because of Dylan Johnson wearing number 17. Mm-hmm. You know, something like that. Um. I, I think they totally dropped the ball on doing something like that. And that's lifetime. That's, that's my number one idea is we need to get rid of number plates. Everyone needs to have a Jersey and we need to sell those. jerseys. I, I think the new way that I've been putting my number on my bike is actually making it more aerodynamic. <laughs> so keep the numbers. <laughs> you can still, yeah, you can, you can still number on there. put a number on, I guess if you want, but sure. Yeah. <laughs> What do you think? Uh, you think they're gonna ban arrow bars? Because that's that's what Payson oh was suggesting. He was suggesting that like maybe they ban arrow bars for the pros. Who cares? <laughs> I, I think they just. Need, I think they need to just. There just needs to be the rules, and whatever the rules are, you you yeah. follow Again. them. So the rules are that you can use arrow bars. Yeah. If, then if the rule is that. safety, or the reason is safety. They need to close the roads first. That's the most dangerous thing. Well, right? I don't know of any of the lifetime races where ha- the open roads is actually a sa- like at Unbound. Yeah, there's not, dude. I saw like two cars out there, and they were probably cars that were associated with the race. Like it's insane how little traffic there is in 200 miles. Uh. Granted, I haven't done Crusher and I haven't done Big Sugar, so I can't speak to those races, but that's. So that's maybe, this is maybe one of my other suggestions. Dylan, you're <laughs> probably going to hate this. <laughs> I, I would be okay if Unbound was hmm. taken out of the series, or maybe it was contributed in a, in a different way, like maybe it was some special event or something. I don't know. Um, because I think Unbound is the one race that is really difficult logistically to mm-hmm. promote. You know, you, you can't have as much media out there. 
um, it's just it's just so big. You know, like maybe maybe they do the race for the pros. You do two one hundred mile laps or something. I don't know. Maybe that would make it easier. But Unbound seems to be like the one exception where it'd be really difficult to scale up the the media presence and you know live stream ability. Like it was it was okay this year, um, but it could definitely be improved yep. a lot. Yeah, I mean. Whether Unbound was part of the Lifetime series or not, uh, it's still probably going to be my biggest race on the calendar. So I would still do it. And it, it would, it would, if like, let's say Unbound was not part of the series, it would still be an A race for me, 100%. So I would, like, I, yeah, for I, sure. I, I wouldn't I mean, that be makes sense for you. That, uh, that butt hurt about it if, uh, if it wasn't part of the series, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I, Cause I would still do it regardless. Anything else to bitch about? <laughs> uh, that's probably it, I guess. I mean, hopefully if anyone does actually listen to this, they, they appreciate what we're saying. Cause like, we're trying to at least, I mean, I think the three of us are, we, we, we all think the lifetime grand prix is doing something mm-hmm. positive for the sport. Um, Pro cycling has a long way to go before it's going to be even close to a mainstream media professional sport. So lifetime coming in and trying to revamp things, I think is really cool. Uh, we're just trying to give some ideas for how they could hopefully make it better in the future. Cause hopefully it sticks around. Hopefully this isn't a one-off one and done thing. Um, seems like it's been, uh, well received by the athletes and followers alike. Yeah. Um, so that hopefully is a good sign that it'll be, brought back for yeah and i mean it's not you know uh it's not unheard of for big series like this like this to be around for a couple years and then fade away i mean that's exactly what happened to the epic ride series and i've talked to people who've been in the sport for way longer than i have and there's plenty of plenty of series going back uh that have done the exact same thing it's kind of it's really sad that the epic ride series kind of faded away because that was I almost felt like Epic Rides was doing everything right. For sure. I I mean I was actually like literally mm-hmm. sad about it cuz like I said that was the series that I uh formed my yeah. my season around. Um so I was really bummed about that but um and I don't know if Lifetime coming in like I don't know if they knew about Epic Rides series going under and then that's when they decided to do their thing or if, if it just coincidentally, um, cause it was like literally lifetime grand prix was announced within a week of the Epic rides demise being announced. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, hmm. we hope it stays. We like what, what's going on. Uh, love to see it grow and expand yeah. and get better each year. And I, I don't, uh, lifetime, if you're interested, <laughs> Reach out. Got more ideas. I'm sure they get plenty of suggestions. <laughs> we didn't even talk about the points, the point system, but we'll save oh, that yeah. for maybe a recap episode or something from, even talk from about the that. next events because that's another thing. Cool. Oh, well. we'll see if this one goes good. Listeners, let us know. We can always talk about lifetime. There's plenty to talk about again. All right, guys. Cool. That's it. Catch you guys later. See you guys. See you soon. 